Happy Monday, everybody, and welcome back to the Get Your Goat Podcast. Josh is here to talk to you today, and there's a lot to get into. Last podcast, I gave you my top 10 quarterbacks heading into this new season. Today, I'm going to be giving you my top 10 running backs. Very important feature to the offense is to have a good rushing attack. I'm going to give you my top 10 today. The Bucks, with a huge and pathetic win this Sunday, yesterday. The series is now on. It's officially a series. What does this mean in going ahead for both of these teams? Vladimir Tarasenko requested a trade from the St. Louis Blues. Who will win the Home Run Derby tonight in the All-Star Game? Let's get right into it. Starting with my top 10 running backs right now in the NFL entering this new season, the 2021-2022 season. Who would I want on my team as my running back? I'm going to start at number 10 and then eventually make my way up to number 1. Number 10 Ezekiel Elliott. Why? This guy knows how to play football. Starting off in Ohio State. Helping carry his team to a national championship game in the inaugural season of the college football playoff. Where he destroyed Alabama in the semifinal game. And then obliterated Oregon on his legs, primed to come out, selected number four in the NFL. Followed that up with a spectacular rookie season where he was selected to both the Pro Bowl and was voted first team All-Pro. Rushed over 300 times for 1,600 yards, 15 touchdowns, averaged 108 yards a game. This dude was looking like the best running back in the NFL at that time. Then he followed it up with just shy of a 1,000-yard season, a seven touchdowns, but still averaged around 100 yards a game because he was suspended for some of those games. Then he came back for another full season, again selected to the Pro Bowl, over 300 times rushing, over 1,400 yards, almost 100 yards a game. Then he followed it up again and with yet another Pro Bowl selection, rushing over 300 times for over 1,300 yards, 12 touchdowns, again looking like one of the best running backs in football over that four-period stretch. And then Ezekiel Elliott has a down year this past year. His fifth year in the season has a down year, and the critics are out calling Ezekiel fat, washed, no longer good. And to me, he had some pretty decent, he had a pretty decent season, all things considered. What do I am considering? I'm considering that they didn't run the football nearly as much when he was getting those 1,300, 1,400, 1,600 yard seasons. He rushed the ball over 300 times. 
This was tied for his second lowest with that 2017 season, where he rushed 244 times, so he wasn't utilized as much. The offensive line has taken a step back, and Dak Prescott wasn't fully healthy. So really, a lot of teams were stacking more defenders to stop the run. They said, if we can stop Ezekiel Elliott, that's what we want to do. Because we know Andy Dalton cannot beat us. And they were right. They stopped a run and Andy Dalton could not beat them. So that was the case. So I think that had to do with Ezekiel's so-called down year. Because he still rushed for 979 yards. 21 short of yet another 1,000-yard rushing campaign. Mustered only six touchdowns, which isn't great. Did have a career low. 65 yards a game, which isn't good, but as I said, those things factored in. So if he would have had another year like he's had the previous four, uh, he would definitely be in my top five, maybe up as high as number two on my list because Ezekiel Elliott can play the game. It's going to be interesting to see now with Dak coming back, will he get back to those Numbers, do they both play off the success of each other? Because I mentioned Dak in my previous podcast at quarterback number eight and the numbers he's had. Some of that you can contribute to people wanting to stop Ezekiel Elliott with Dak being a good quarterback opens up a lot of room for him and vice versa. When Dak's going well, they might put more pressure uh, on the safeties and cornerbacks to try to stop the passing attack, which then frees up Ezekiel Elliott. So really, those two players really work and have such harmony when they're both clicking. Great things happen when we're not, not good things happen. So, But after Ezekiel's down year, he is still a top 10 quarterback, and I do not feel the need to take him out of my top 10 when a lot of other things were affecting the Cowboys much more than Ezekiel Elliott. So he's number 10. What about number 9? That is Kareem Hunt. Very polarizing figure in the NFL. Came out with Kansas City. Was brilliant. Selected of a Pro Bowl. Had 1,300 yards. Rushed for 82 yards a game. 8 touchdowns. But he was also a threat receiving as well. Uh, Had over 450 yards receiving to go to three touchdowns along with that. Uh, So total yards, uh, he had around 1,700, which was really good to have with Kansas City at that time. And then what happens to him another season where he is then uh, plays half the season, and in that half of the season rushes for 824 yards, seven touchdowns, a touchdown short, and in the passing game racks up 378 yards on pace to break records, and then is suspended the rest of the season uh, for domestic violence abuse that happened. So he was done the 2018 season, a 2019 season didn't play much either 
due to that suspension as he was serving the suspension till the beginning of that season and didn't play much, now then signed with the Cleveland Browns. But what does he do after that? Well, he's a backup to Nick Chubb. In this past year, a backup to Nick Chubb put up 841 yards, six touchdowns, and in a receiving game, rushed for 300, or in the passing game, had 304 yards and five touchdowns, uh, which total puts it around 1,200 yards and then 11 touchdowns. So he is a really good running back, and he's a backup. He is a backup, and he could be a full starter. He was a full starter with the Kansas City Chiefs. So he is a star, a great running back, who can be a full-time starter, but is instead a backup to a even better running back than him. But Nick Chubb is a great running back. I'd love to have him on my team because of his toughness, his ability to not only run, but also to catch to where as Zeke is not really that passing back. He's just that big, bruising back. Whereas uh, Nick Chubb is a little fast, or Kareem Hunt's a little faster, a little bit more elusive. So number nine, I have Kareem Hunt. What about number eight? Josh Jacobs. Relatively new to the NFL, with only played two seasons. But to me, he is turning in to quite a star with the Las Vegas Raiders. Josh Jacobs in his rookie season had a 1,150 yards, uh, seven touchdowns, and played his role quite well. Then he was asked to do even more the following season and did just that, rushed for more attempts, had around the same yards, hovering at around uh, 1,100 yards, but was also more involved in a involved in a passing game as well. Had more touchdowns, side more touchdowns, used more as that goal line threat, and he succeeded in that role and was selected to the Pro Bowl. And the reason I have him as eight and the other running backs that have more experience and maybe has a better resume overall is because Josh Jacobs is a younger player and in the NFL I tend to really value a young running back because the young running back has not been hit as much as the previous running backs. To me, running backs get hit the most, tackle the most. You have, you know, five, six, seven guys trying to bring them down. They're going for your uh, knees, shoulders, anything just to get you down and tackle you to the ground. So the other guys have a ton of wear and tear on them. Well, Josh Jacobs is ascending and has played relatively healthy, has been nicked up a few times, but has been very reliable for this Raiders team. Only missing four games the past two years, but has put up great numbers in the games he's played, started every game, is reliable, is young, and I think entering the 2021 season, I'd love to have him on my team ahead of a lot of more other running backs at that position. 
So number eight is Josh Jacobs. Now number seven, Aaron Jones, running back of the Green Bay Packers. Why Aaron Jones? What's the deal with him? Well, as typical Packers players, they usually don't start you right away as a rookie for a full 16-game season. They kind of easy win. So in his first year, he only appeared in 12 games, started in four, and had around 448 yards. So when games started, that's about a 112 mark, which is pretty good. Four touchdowns, which is one touchdown a mark game, which was good, but they were still getting acclimated to him. Second year, still progressing, appears in the same amount of games, 12, but starts in twice as much going from 4 to 8. Rushes for 728 yards, which is almost double, doubles in touchdowns to 8, and does appear a lot more of a passing game with 206 receiving yards. So he's growing. Now they say we like what we see the first two years. We're going to give you the starting nod in the following season. And we're going to see what you do with it. So Aaron Jones is a starter. few years after being drafted. Plays every game. Starts every game. Has a career high at the time rushing yards. 1,084 eclipses at 1,000 yard mark. Has a not only a career high, but a league high 16 touchdown season in 2019. Just 16 rushing touchdowns. He was a presence not only at the goal line, but literally scoring from anywhere. He would run the football in from anywhere. He was electric to watch with Green Bay. Not only that, but he did add in receiving yards as well, 474 with three touchdowns, which put his total touchdowns up to a league high for a non-quarterback position at 19 and had around 1,600 total yards. To me, that season, he was one of the best backs in the NFL. He was great, just great. Then this year, he was good, but he dealt with a couple injuries, so he didn't start every game. Still, he passed the previous season's rushing mark of 1,084 with just over 1,100. So he had around 20 more rushing yards, but he also had 35 less rushing attempts. That speaks to the offensive line creating more holes in him, uh, getting off blocks more. Uh, being more elusive because he is a very you know shifty back with his feet and can move. He did add nine touchdowns to that and had 355 yards receiving and two passing touchdowns. So he was good. He was a really good back, but just was not as good as he was in 2019. But he was still last year selected to the Pro Bowl. So I really like him going into this season. Because he really only has two full seasons under his belt. Whereas the first two, he wasn't starting every game. Wasn't the full-time back coming out. So he is really good. He fits in well with this system in Green Bay. 
And I think he'll have another big year, especially if Aaron Rodgers returns. If he doesn't, then things get thrown upside down. But if Aaron Rodgers is there, Aaron Jones is there, both Aarons will do great in Green Bay. Now number six, Saquon Barkley. Number two overall pick out of Penn State, who is electric in Penn State, returning the football, running the football, catching the football, do it all, amazing back. Comes out his first year and is just as electric behind a terrible offensive line, mind you, and a terrible quarterback in Eli Manning. I mean, they just had a terrible offense, and to me the only reason they won games is because they had Saquon Barkley selected to a Pro Bowl in his rookie year, started every game, had over 1,300 yards rushing, 11 touchdowns, and receiving added 721 and four touchdowns, what put him in a league high for that season. He entered for a non-quarterback. He had over 2,000 yards by himself. And around 14 touchdowns, 15, touch, 15 touchdowns. So he was really good that year. He was brilliant. He looked like the number two overall pick. Giants looked like they hit a home run. This guy's a real deal. He's lighting up New York. How does he do his sophomore season? Well, he's nicked up a few times, but he still rushes for over 1,000 yards, has six touchdowns, 438 yards. So it is a little bit of a drop, productive-wise, for a total of 500 yards and seven touchdowns. But to me, that is kind of the median right there was that 2019 season. Because he had such a peak where most running backs don't even peak at that in his first season. So there are all these uh, comparisons to him right there. Will he be the next Jim Brown? Will he be the greatest running back already? Which is unfair to him as a player and as a kid. And then this past year, tears his ACL uh, and really doesn't play at all because it's within the first game or two. Uh, but he should play week one this season. But him going in, because he is still young, he's electric. Yes, he's coming off a torn ACL, which is scary, but I think he's going to come out with a vengeance where he's back healthy and has had a long time uh, recuperating from this injury to where he's going to come out. And I think he's going to have a reminiscent rookie season where he's doing it all. And this team's improved, too. When you look at him in that 2018 season where I said everything was bad, including the no weapons other than him and Eli Manning, everything was so bad. They have Daniel Jones as quarterback, who I think will take a big leap this year because they've added Kenny Galladay. They have Evan Ingram, Sterling Shepard. They have players who can play, upgraded their offensive line a little bit. So it's not just all on Saquon Barkley which is great because it's going to open up more things for him, and I think he will be brilliant this year. So that's why I have him at number six. Number five, Christian McCaffrey. To me, him and Saquon are very similar. It's just which one do I kind of want to take. And I said I'll take Christian McCaffrey because I loved him at Stanford and watching him 
but I was torn on that, but I'm like, it's only five and six. I'll put Christian at five. And his first year, didn't even start every game as well. Uh, didn't have a very active first year in the league. Second year, became the full-time starter. See what he can do. And he did really good. Over a 1,000 yards rushing, seven touchdowns in 16 games. But what was also a threat is his receiving, which he had 867 yards receiving, which was almost 2,000 yards total and 13 total touchdowns. So he was right there at sort of that Saquon level, just almost touching 2,000, but uh, Saquon had the edge at 2,000. But then Christian erupts in 2019 for a running back kind of record year where he had 2,400, 2,400 all-purpose yards passing or receiving and uh, rushing. Became the third player in NFL history, to 1,000 rushing yards and 1,000 receiving yards in the same season. Had almost 1,400 rushing yards, 15 touchdowns, 86 yards rushing a game, receiving had over 1,000, receiving four touchdowns to go to over 62 yards a game which combined for about 150 yards a game is what he about averaged. Every game himself was 150 yards, which had him at the 2,400-yard mark, 19 total touchdowns, touched the ball 403 times, all league highs, selected of a Pro Bowl, was first-team All-Pro, was just spectacular, was the real deal. The kid from Stanford has arrived This is what we wanted to see. It's three years in, and he has proven that he is the top running back in the NFL. Did you not see that? Not only just runs with force, but he receives as well. But this year, this past year, only plays around three games, was shut down the majority of the season due to injuries. There's ankle, I believe there's a back as well. So he had injuries coming into this season. So that does alarm me. The intense rate that he is used and is relied on F Carolina alarms me too. But I do think he can play and will return this year. Hopefully the quarterback situation, which I believe is not fulfilled yet with Sam Darnold. Hopefully there is a little bit of resolution to where Christian McCaffrey can put up gaudy numbers again. But how quick he is, how elusive to me, he is just so quick. The way he can cut if a drop of a dime is insane. His elusiveness is unmatched. His ability to kind of see fit through to where he needs to go and make plays. He's just the ultimate playmaker at the running back position. Now, number four, Nick Chubb, 
running back for the Cleveland Browns. This guy is a bruising running back. He is really, really good. Again, first year. It didn't start every game. He started around half the games. Nine games he started. Almost rushed. I'm just going to say he rushed for 1,000 yards. Technically, it's 996. But in nine games, he puts that up. Eight touchdowns. I mean, that's ridiculous. So I thought, you give him the starting job, this guy could be really, really special. So you give him the full-time starting job in 2019. He rushes for 1,500 yards, eight touchdowns again, selected to the Pro Bowl. And you're like, Nick Chubb has arrived. Baker Mayfield is there. This offensive line is good. We are going to do some things. And they peter out. Don't do well, but Nick Chubb had a tremendous individual season. So then 2020, Kareem Hunt officially reinstated. He starts with 12 games that he plays. He's injured a little bit. Uh, Kareem Hunt does see more playing time, but he still rushes for over 1,000 yards, has a career-high 12 touchdowns. So he, he does it all. He is just a big back that has... Speed, deceptive speed, to me, is what he has. Because he's a big uh, dog, 5'11", 230 pounds. So it doesn't look like he should be that fast. But he is insanely fast. So selected to the Pro Bowl. Was great in that win against the Steelers, in which everybody on the Browns was as well. But I think he'd put up even more hundred. Big numbers. I think he could put up Derrick Henry-esque numbers if Kareem Hunt wasn't on this team and it was all Nick Chubb like it is Derrick Henry. Unfortunately, it's not. But entering into a season, I would love to have Nick Chubb is my running back one right there. Now number three. Dalvin Cook for the Minnesota Vikings. This is another... Fantastic running back out of Florida State. First year, didn't play much at all. Second year, did half and half, uh, 615 yards. Only started 10 games out of 11. He appeared and dealt with some injuries too, so could they really rely on him? In 2019, plays in 14 games. Rushes for 1,100 yards and selected to the Pro Bowl. He's great. He's a great running back. 2020, even better. Second to Derrick Henry in yards. Almost 1,600 of them this past season. Uh, You can say he's in rushing yards in the past two years. He's had the second most to Derrick Henry just rushing alone. But he adds in a little of a passing where he's almost had 2,000 total yards this past season. But to me, you look at the stats and you say, this guy's pretty good. He can run the football. But to me, the thing is, is he's never played 16 games. Never has. Because he's always dealt with some lingering injury that sidelines him games, whether it's his knee or a toe, whatever it may be. He never appears. 
in every game, which is alarming to me, especially when the season now has an extra game to where your game starting and games appeared and should now be 17, and he has never appeared in a full 16 or even a 15 games. 14 has been his max the past two seasons because he's always had a lingering injury that just appears out of the blue. So to me, that's why I don't have him at number two because even though I know he's a great running back, he can run the ball very strong, whether it be not the best offensive line, it's that lingering injury that scares me and says entering 2021, I don't want to hand this guy the rock and him be my guy and have him fall apart. I don't wish that. I don't want that to happen. But that's the only hang-up I have on him. But other than that, he has been the steadfast you know, anchor for this Vikings team. Now number two. To me, the most elusive, all-purpose back in the league since he's come in, selected to the Pro Bowl four straight seasons in the four seasons that he's played, Alvin Kamara. Now get this. Alvin Kamara, his first season with the New Orleans Saints, appeared in 16 games. Never started any of them, or started three of them, with the Mark Ingram addition. He was still selected to the Pro Bowl as a running back because he put up 728 yards, eight touchdowns. In receiving, he had more receiving yards than running yards as a running back. Had 826 with five touchdowns for a total of 1,554 and 13 touchdowns with not even being the focal back. That's Mark Ingram. 2018, the same sort of way with Mark Ingram. He does start more games while rushing. He increases his total to 883 yards. His receptions decrease and his yards decrease from there, 709, but still puts up more total yards at 1,600 and more touchdowns at 18. This guy is cruising another Pro Bowl yet another year. This time, Mark Ingram is gone. He's the main back. What will he do? He puts up good numbers. 800 yards, you know, you look at it, it's not great. But he did deal with some injuries. Uh, Didn't play every game. Didn't start every game. But the receiving as well. 533, his lowest total at 1,333. Still selects to the Pro Bowl. They're asking... You know, is he done if they don't have a feature number two back? Is Alvin Kamara really it? Is he the guy? Yes, he's selected for Pro Bowl, but are his totals decreasing? Well, he collapsed back at the haters this year. It, rushing for a career-high 932 yards, 16 rushing touchdowns, receiving 750 yards and five touchdowns for a total yards of 1,700 career high and 21 total touchdowns, more than any 
non-quarterback, so he had more touchdowns than any other running back, wide receiver, total touchdowns, 21, which was a league high this past year, which is why he's brilliant. Is also sometimes used in the kick and punt returns as well. He scored a couple of those. So he is the do-it-all quarterback. And to me, the play that summarizes this up is this past year. It was a week two or week three Packers Sunday night game where it's a screen pass to him, catches it at the 50-yard line, not even running full speed to the end zone. He is just in front of his blockers. He makes the smartest plays. He knows where to go. His vision is unmatched in the NFL, and that's why I want him, because he can make plays that seem like, hey, that's just a five-yard play where it's just a check down or a first down, and he tears it open for a touchdown, and that's what Alvin Kamara brings you night in and night out. He brings in the hard work, and the only reason I can't have him number one is because the number one is just head and shoulders above the rest. But Alvin Kamara has yet to have a 1,000-yard rushing season, even though he was close last year, hasn't had a 1,000-yard receiving season, even though he's been close before. But he's kind of right into that middle point where he's just tough for defenses to read because if it's in the passing game, it's a nightmare because a linebacker just simply cannot match up with the speed of Alvin Kamara. He is just brilliant. Now, who is the number one running back? The man who needs no introduction. King Henry himself, Derrick Henry, is the best running back in the NFL, hands down, entering this season. Six foot three, 250 pounds. This man is a bone bruiser. Why do I say that? First two years, didn't start at all. Was kind of the afterthought in the Tennessee offense as they're shifting with Marcus Mariota as a focal point. That really doesn't work well. 2018, we'll use him more. Does he start every game? No, but we'll use him. Uh, so in 12 games, rushes for 1,000 yards and has 12 touchdowns. And they think, oh my goodness, we found our man. We found our guy. What does he do then? Following year, they say, we're going to give this to you. This offense is yours, Derrick Henry. Rushes for over... 1,540, which is a career high and a league high that year. Had a league high 16 rushing touchdowns or tied with Aaron Jones on 303 rush attempts. Selected to the Pro Bowl, 102 yards a game. Was just brilliant. And then you're like, this is it. Can he repeat the success? And he does this past year is selected to the Pro Bowl and has also earned a first-team All-Pro nomination because he almost rushes for 400 times for over 2,000 yards. 17 total touchdowns, both league highs. Derrick Henry was about 80 or 90 yards off from breaking the rushing record. That's how good he is. 126 yards a game. The offense flows through him. You cannot stop him. He trucks you. You send eight people. That still is sometimes not enough. You need to send nine to stop Derrick Henry. He's had three playoff games 
with over 150 rushing yards. Only one more person has done that. That's how good he is. And he's only appeared in four playoff games or five. And that's how good Derrick Henry is and is to this team. He is the legitimate best running back in the NFL. I think the second is Dalvin Cook in terms of yards. But Derrick Henry is about a 1,000 yards still ahead of him because Derrick Henry is a legitimate beast that you cannot arm tackle who is always on Sports Center for trucking people, stiff-arming people to the ground, victims, Josh Norman, uh, players for the Lions, and there's others as well where it's just shocking what he does to you. Uh, he is also just intimidating trying to tackle him. He is the best running back in football by far. So that's my top 10. Ezekiel Elliott, Kareem Hunt, Josh Jacobs, Aaron Jones, Saquon Barkley, Christian McCaffrey, Nick Chubb, Dalvin Cook, Alvin Kamara, and Derrick Henry. Now moving on to the NBA. The Bucks. Beat the Suns by 20 points last night and made it a series. Giannis was brilliant. 41 points, inching close to a Michael Jordan record of four consecutive games in the playoffs with 40 points or more. Chris Middleton was both great offensively and defensively. Offensively, he had 18 points, but defensively, He shut down Devin Booker. That was his assignment, and he fulfilled it to the max. Devin Booker had his worst game, to me, of not only the playoffs, but the season. Only 10 points. uh, Looked very poorly. Chris Middleton did his job. And Drew Holiday had 21 points, but he also did his job of shutting down Chris Paul. Yes, Chris Paul had a team-high 19 points for the Suns. But those 19 points were just uh, so-so. They weren't really good or meaningful. Is the Bucks blew them out of a building, ending the third quarter on a huge run uh, to kind of just relax there in the fourth quarter. I believe it was around a 14 or 16-0 run to end that third quarter. So the Bucks played really good that game. They played as a team. To me, they were just the most consistent. Uh, they were able to just lead uh, throughout, let Phoenix come back, but they were able to eliminate any full comebacks. Out-rebounded them by 11, 4 on the defensive side, and 7 on the offensive. So that's 7 more uh, chances for you to score, which is huge. They were more aggressive defensively. They bullied the Phoenix Suns, uh, blocked them, stole the ball from them, uh, created more turnovers, uh, were better in the fast break, dominated the paint. Brooke Lopez, Giannis dominated. Well, DeAndre Ayton was in foul trouble and was just a big win for Milwaukee to even up the series. 
Scott Foster was the referee for this game. As is noted, Chris Paul has not won a playoff game when he is a head referee. He's lost the past 12. Uh, I don't think last night it meant anything other than kind of a build-up to it. Oh, he's a head referee, but nothing happened in that game that I think would have changed that outcome. Is Giannis with his 41-point, 13-rebound double-double was just too much for them to contain. They were better defensively. That's the team I want to see, and that's the team I want to see Wednesday night and throughout this series because if the Bucks play like they do last night with that aggression on offense and defense, this series is over. The Bucks will win three more in a row, and my Bucks and six prediction will be right. I do think Bucks will win game four, which is in Milwaukee, because I think they found the formula for success. Do they need to win by 20 points every time? No. Does Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday need to play like that if Giannis is playing like that? No. The offense can flow through Giannis, but if Chris Middleton is shutting down Devin Booker and Drew Holiday is shutting down Chris Paul, tell me if those two players are shut down, who's going to step up for the Phoenix Suns and say no? Because Cam Johnson looked good last night in his role. But who's going to step up and replace those two players' success? Because you have people who can stop those two. Whereas Giannis, they can't stop Giannis. They don't have a player that can go one-on-one with Giannis. You'll have to double-team him down there, whether it's DeAndre Ayton and Kaminsky or Ayton or uh, Johnson or Payne, whoever. You need to have two people on Giannis. But they don't have one player that can shut down Giannis. Whereas the Bucks have one player who can shut down both Chris Paul and Devin Booker. They didn't do a good job in games 1 and 2 fighting through Chris Middleton. They kind of switched everything. And that allowed Chris Paul to find a lot of open room. Devin Booker to have open shots. Whereas this game, they fought through the screens and they said, no matter what happens, I'm going to be up in those guys' grill all night long. And that's the recipe for success. I think they found it. It's going to be tough to repeat. I think they can do it, though, again in Game 4. And I think this series will be even before we know it. And the Milwaukee Bucks also play better at home as well. Uh, and I think they'll continue their ways winning at home. And the series will be 2-2 Wednesday night. And we'll look into ourselves and we'll see a Game 5 on Saturday with a 2-2 series. But I like the aggression from Giannis from this whole Bucks team on both the offensive and defensive side of the ball. Now the NHL. Vladimir Tarasenko star center, or star uh, wing for the St. Louis Blues has requested a trade. He's in his final year of an eighth-year deal, eight-year deal. He's had 218 goals, 224 assists, is 29 years old, and is a Stanley Cup champion for the St. Louis Blues, but Blues, but doesn't like how his injury, his shoulder injury, has been handled by the Blues management. So he's requested a trade. I think it's good. For him now to leave as the Blues are reshaping and becoming a different team 
from that 2019 Stanley Cup champion team. So to me, this is kind of their last big piece to get rid of, is Pietrangelo is gone, and Tarasenko was kind of the highlight winger. So I'm going to give you my top five teams I would like to see Tarasenko go to. Number five, Toronto Maple Leafs. Why? Well, they have two bona fide centers, and uh, Tavares and uh, Austin Matthews. Austin Matthews has his proven winger with Mitch Marner, but Tavares doesn't have him. Nylander, you can't really trust for the games. So if I think if you were to have a guy like Neil, uh, Tarasenko, you'd really have two superstar lines to where you don't have to then at the end of games and clutch situations put the Tavares with the Marner and the uh, Austin Matthews and leave your other lines exposed. I think this would be a great trade to get done for the Maple Leafs. Number four, the Boston Bruins. Why? Well, they have one of the top lines in hockey. To me, definitely a top three line with Brad Marchand, Patrice Bergeron, and David Pasternak. But they need more depth beyond that, which is why they traded for Taylor Hall. But he's going to be a free agent. Who are you going to pair back there with David Krejci? I think Vladimir Tarasenko is better when healthy than Taylor Hall. Yes, Taylor Hall's won an MVP, and he did look better in Boston than he has anywhere since that time in New Jersey. But I like Vladimir, especially if they were to keep Taylor Hall, to have that two-potent left-wing-right-wing combination could do a lot of damage. Number three, the Washington Capitals. Why? Well, this would just complete uh, the Russian get-up over there in Washington. Vladimir Tarasenko is a Russian. So is Alexander Ovechkin, who is their uh, star, you know, one of the stars of the league, Alex Ovechkin. The grade eight, Evgeny Kuznetsov, another one. Samsonov, your uh, goalie, Dmitry Orlov, their defenseman. Uh, so why not just have Tarasenko, another sniping winger, right wing like Ovechkin, who can pair behind him. Ovechkin's getting older. So then when he retires, you have somebody slotted into that system with Tarasenko in mind. Number two, the New York Rangers. To me, the New York Rangers have a typical great first line uh, with the makeups of Paul Buchnevich, Chris Kreider, Mika Zabinajad. Second line, you have Ryan Strom and uh, Artemi Panarin, but you really don't have a winger on the other side to kind of complement Panarin. Ryan Strom's all right, but a lot of a focus when Panarin on the ice is Panarin because he's one of the best in the game. But when you have Tarasenko to add to the same line as Panarin, or if another one comes down like Chris Kreider or Buchnevich, then you really have a lot more leeway, a lot more playmaking between those players and which is harmonious. Now, number one, of course, I'm going to be biased on this one, but is the Pittsburgh Penguins. To me, they have the best, if not the best line in hockey, as this past year proved with Sidney Crosby. Jake Gensel, and Brian Rust. But the second line needs help, especially if we're going to keep Evgeny Malkin, which I know I'll talk about him. I want to get traded another day, but if we're going to keep him, I think a Tarasenko trade would benefit Malkin. 
uh, two hometown teammates to kind of pair together because the Zucker has not worked well, in which they thought, uh, who do you really pair with him? Uh, Kasperi Kapanen was really good with Malkin, uh, but Kapanen is not of the same level as Tarasenko. This would be really good for the Penguins. So if he had to get traded, those are my top five teams I would like to see Vladimir Tarasenko go to. The Maple Leafs, the Bruins, the Capitals, the Rangers, and my Penguins. What else happened in the NHL news? Well, the Chicago Blackhawks have traded Duncan Keith, their superstar defenseman, longtime defenseman, to the Edmonton Oilers for Caleb Jones in a third-round pick. I really have no immediate feeling. I know that the Chicago Blackhawks were looking to get rid of his salary, which is around $5 million against the cap for a 38-year-old defenseman who is no longer who he was when he won the Conn Smythe in 2015. Norris Trophy is the best defenseman in 2010 and 2014, but he's one of the best Blackhawks of all time. He's going to be in the Hall of Fame. has been great, but has just been on a decline in a rebuilding team. So I think this will be good just for the Oilers to have a veteran presence and for the uh, Chicago Blackhawks to continue their rebuild. But tonight is the home run derby between the eight contestants. I think this is going to be a very exciting home run derby uh, for who I think is going to win it. I think it is going to be Shohei Otani. To me, he is brilliant, but he's in a tough bracket. He goes up, up against uh, Juan Soto who can definitely hit it on the Nationals. This will be a great first-round matchup, and to me, it's a little uh, upset brewing. Then in the next-round matchup, you have Perez versus Pete Alonso. I think Pete Alonso will win that, which would set up an Otani-Alonso semifinal, which is still dangerous because Pete Alonso is a reigning home run derby champion. Uh, So that, I think, could go either way. But I don't like a repeat, which is why I see Otani. And then on the other side of a bracket, I like Joey Gallo beating Trevor Story and Matt Olson beating Mancini with Gallo advancing to the final, but Shohei winning this thing. Because he's been brilliant all year long, home run after home run every night. And then in the AL and the NL game itself tomorrow night, I like the AL to win. I know NL is the favorite. But Shohei Yotani, a lot of talk's been on him. He's going to both pitch and lead off. I think that's great. Vladimir Guerrero can hit. Xander Bogarts, Aaron Judge has been on fire recently. Uh, I think this lineup will do really good. I think they'll be able to hit against Matt Scherzer as well, especially of Guerrero and Judge who've done it before. Uh, and then you have... The NL lineup, and I think the NL lineup, led by Fernando Tatis, the NL MVP, will be fantastic this game. But this is a team that has not seen 
Otani a lot pitching, especially in the first couple innings. What will happen? But I like the AL lineup a little bit more than the NL lineup. Well, let's recap a couple other things that happened in the sports world this weekend. One, Argentina won the Copa America, beating Brazil in the final. To me, this cements Messi as the greatest football player of all time, greatest soccer player of all time. He is. No debate now. The only thing holding him back was he's never won international silverware with Argentina. Yes, he won the Olympics in Beijing in 2008, but that's not really a trophy you win. We need him to win a trophy. So he went out and won the Copa America, was holding up a big trophy, kissing it. He has done it. He has done it all. He's sixth player of the years, uh, most ever. He's won the Champions League with Barcelona. He's broken every club record imaginable. He's close to breaking Pele's record of most goals by a South American player of all time. In terms of international games, he needs one more goal to do that. That'll get done soon with qualifying matches in the World Cup next year. But Messi looked determined. Assisted on 9 out of the 12 goals. Was his finals good? No, it was rather pedestrian. But the team around him supported him. Because he got them to the finals. He carried them in every single game up till this finals. And the team said, we'll get this one for you. Because you've carried us. You've played every game. You've the only one who's played every single minute other than the goalie. So we'll give this one to you. And Messi got it. Congrats to Messi, the greatest soccer player of all time. Then Italy won the Euros in a thrilling match against England and penalty kicks, which to me is both anticlimactic and both very uh, climatic somehow at the same time in the way it is handled, but it is thrilling to watch the end of that. But Italy won first time since 1968 and sent the England fans packing. What else? Connor McGregor lost to Dustin Poirier in the first round. Technically, it's a loss, or if you want, you can call it a doctor stoppage, since he did break and completely fracture his leg, his tibia, fibula, all that was gone and shattered, pins and rods in his leg, uh, which hurts is a huge setback. Six weeks in the crutch, when he builds back. But this hurts. Uh, because it is a freak accident. Who knows what happens in the second round. Conor McGregor got some good shots in there, but so did Dustin. Dustin on the ground, especially even though Conor McGregor was trying to get him to submit. Who knows what would have happened in the second round if Conor McGregor's leg actually split on the check kick. Who knows to me. I do agree with Conor as that was an illegitimate win. It didn't feel... Like there was a definitive winner come out of that fight since it was a doctor stoppage. And he couldn't actually go because of his leg. So to me, it really didn't really feel like a trilogy if they were to ever rematch and fight again. It would be considered a trilogy, but I really don't want him to fight Dustin next. Uh, I think Dustin should fight for the lightweight belt. But I do think Connor comes back, maybe entertains, finishes in a Diaz trilogy. Maybe fights a Jorge Masvidal. Who knows? He has plenty of options to fight from. Maybe he does another tune-up like he get against 
uh, Donald Cerrone, the cowboy, and just does another one of those versions with someone else. Who knows? But it's good for his confidence, I think, to win another one. Getting back into the octagon to see if he is still Conor McGregor now on the downhill of his prime. And then Novak Djokovic won the Wimbledon. Has now won 20 Grand Slams. Now tied for the most of all time with Rafael Nadal and Roger Federer, which really sucks. Uh, but he is there at that point now, all tied. For first, Novak has now won three straight Grand Slams in a row. The Australian, the French, and now the Wimbledon. One remains for the, technically, the, uh, he's won 20 majors, uh, but one remains now the U.S. Open for the actual Grand Slam of winning all four of those majors within a calendar tournament. Which I hope he doesn't do. Hope he doesn't get the 21. And then I'd have to have a real GOAT debate about him and Roger. Which I wouldn't like because to me Roger Federer is still the GOAT. And now this just gives me more talking points for my show. So I'm going to end it on that. Thanks for listening everybody. Talk to you guys soon. Bye.